0: And we're back for, I think it's episode forty four. ...of Behind the Lens. Uh, I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, creator, host, film critic, movie ...film critic to 150 different outlets, printing online around the globe. Google me, find me. Maybe you won't find me. Um, but one place you will always find me is every Monday right here on Adrenaline Radio. Uh, and ad- AdrenalineRadio.com and AdviceRadio.com. And as uh, our regular listeners know, the show is also available... By tomorrow, uh, the podcast is on iTunes, uh, and we shoot with three-camera video. That package is generally out. It should be out by Thursdays when Jordan edits quickly. Otherwise, generally by Friday, we've got a complete video of the show. Um, We have guests. We go behind the lens and below the line, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to slow it down. The past couple weeks have been really hectic with a lot of in-studio guests and jam-packed, uh, inter- you know, live call-in interviews. Uh, one of the most impactful, and important of which was last week with uh, documentarian Leslie Udwin talking about India's Daughter, um, which is a hot contender in the uh, for best documentary uh, at the Oscars this year. Uh, fingers are crossed to see if it makes the short list, but. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to see India's Daughter, it's opening on a platform basis around the country. Uh, please look for it. Check it out. Go to the website, indiasdaughter.com. The documentary stems from the two, December 2012 rape and murder of a young 23-year-old Indian woman named Jyoti Singh. Um, it sent the nation of India into turmoil with unseen protests on a level that had never been experienced. And it Help galvanize and start a call to arms for a very public call to arms for gender equality around the globe. So, and uh, the documentary touches on that. Uh, our interview with Leslie is up on com. You can hear it at uh, journalandradio.com podcast or on iTunes. Uh, and then uh, my film review is actually in print online in numerous places. So, please, that is one film I will heartily, heartily, heartily endorse. Um, India's daughter. But this week, we actually have, I'm here by myself. Greg is off working on his multitude of projects and doing interviews today. Uh, and I am so thrilled that at the halfway point of our show, one of my favorite, favorite filmmakers, and she's been a future filmmaker, but for all the work that she does and as busy as she stays, Kira Bursky is no longer a future filmmaker. I have to call her a filmmaker. Um, Kira, I first met as part of the LA Film Festival Future Filmmaker Showcase this year, and she has become an absolute fixture in, in my filmmaking life now and in this show. And I'm so thrilled Kira will be with us again today to talk about her new project that's not a film, but it's something to help future filmmakers. Big Little Filmmaker, and we'll let Kira talk all about that at the half-hour mark. Uh, Quarter-hour mark, we're going to have a new writer and director, Jed Rigney, talk about his film, Nowhere Girl, which is an absolutely charming film. It is quirky. It is creative. It's inventive. We meet some very wonderful new talents, two of which I really have my eye on for future work. Uh, So Jed will be joining us, and then hopefully... Uh, in the last segment, we're going to have a Russian screenwriter, Adrian Kalusi, uh, with this killer, uh, literally and figuratively, new film, Landmine Goes Click, uh, coming out of the Republic of, Republic of Georgia over in the Soviet area in the Eastern Europe bloc. So, um, and it's an extremely interesting, graphic, violent, horror-thriller combo. Um, so hopefully Adrian will be calling in so we can talk to him about that, but a lot of other things are happening and we're gearing up for some of the biggest, let's face it, the biggest event of the year, which is star Wars, uh, the force awakens in December. Uh, but before we get to star Wars, some other big, big film openings are coming up and I've had a chance to do a lot of interviews on them. Um, one of which opens this Friday, which is Trumbo, which has Oscar written on it on every caliber, from director to screenwriter to performances, uh, both lead and supporting, to costuming, to production design, to cinematography. Uh, and I have talked with all of our, all the below-the-line people, the above-the-line people. Uh, and today you're going to hear excerpts of my exclusive with screenwriter John McNamara, also, today we're going to be talking about one of the most adorable, enchanting movies of the animated movies to come out of Pixar this year. Yes, we get two Pixars this year, so we could have a battle for best animated feature come Oscars because we're going to hear from today Harley Jessup, the production designer of The Good Dinosaur. Uh, and that opens on November 25th. Uh, Next week we'll be hearing from one of the other big anticipated uh, releases. I just did uh, all the interviews on that one on Saturday for the final chapter of the Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two, and uh, we'll talk about that later on. We're embargoed on any thoughts, but you can hear what the principals have had to say in interview about the film. But oh, and the other big event of today—it is Cookie Monster's birthday. I mean, I can't believe Brian, sound engineer Brian, did not know that. It is Cookie Monster's birthday. So, the Muppets have been a big part of all of our lives. Um, So it's only fair to give a shout-out to Happy Birthday to Cookie Monster. But first, let's take a look and start with the good dinosaur and Harley Jessup. Harley is an incredible production designer. He and I actually first met back in... During the filming of Howard the Duck, yes, Howard the Duck, Harley was in the art department. I was bouncing around as a PA on and off on the set. Um, but Howard, uh, but Harley has worked his way up uh, and has now been with Pixar for 19 years. And when you take a look at, the, when you see The Good Dinosaur, and I think you can see a lot of this in trailers as they've been popping up, um, the depth of production design is absolutely amazing. Um They're working with the uh, USGS to get topography. Uh, The location that's chosen for for the setting of the film is actually Jackson, Wyoming, Snake River, all up in that beautiful, pristine area of the United States. And the premise of Good Dinosaur is what if the asteroid missed the Earth and dinosaurs weren't extinct? And this is a typical story of a boy and his dog, only here... The boy is actually Arlo the Dinosaur, and the dog is a little human named Spot. But in creating that world, it's very, very, um, very—I'm trying to think of the right word here for this. Um, The the look of the good dinosaur is different than anything we've seen from Pixar. The look of Inside Out was different than anything we've seen before. But this goes to a different level, a more naturalistic level— and primarily due to the fact that the look of the film was based on the paintings of well-known landscape artist uh, Sharon Callahan, who is also the cinematographer on the film, and influenced Harley's work and that of his team uh, immensely in designing the, the palette, the look, and the visual tone of the film. So I had a chance to ask Harley, what is it that sets Good Dinosaur apart from other Pixar films? For you as a production designer... What is it that make sets The Good Dinosaur apart from the other films that Pixar has made and that you've worked on here? Mm-hmm. Because there is so much here that is visually new that we haven't seen
1: before. Oh, uh-huh. Well, that's great. I mean, you're part of the first audience that ha- has been experiencing it, and so I'm excited to hear your reaction. And um, I think, I mean, the scale of the sets is, is mm-hmm. one thing. Uh which doesn't really explain the look, but these are much bigger sets than I've ever worked on where we were dealing with, um, with areas that... terrain that is often 50 miles or 100 miles in diameter. Um, so we're sculpting mountain ranges and, and using USGS uh, 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 satellite data for creating erosion patterns. Um, but really the look of the film you know, I think, I think it's really influenced by just great landscape paintings mm-hmm. and our, our collaboration with Sharon Callahan, who's the DP, uh, you know, she's really guided the art department in this case in an unusual way, creating the look. Um, mm-hmm. She's so, she's a great landscape painter herself. So, uh, I, I really have learned a lot from Sharon on this. We, you know, the, the landscapes in the good dinosaur, um, uh, i 've heard them described as hyper real or very realistic and you know they are they are very detailed in a certain way but they're also uh, um, idealized in a way the same way I think a landscape painter would uh, simplify the the massing of the trees on the hillside the the s- snow patterns on the the mountaintops the uh, uh, composing the uh, e- each frame uh, like a uh, great landscape painter would. Sharon's really helped us uh, kind of get in that mindset. And each of the designers, the set designers uh, have adopted that and grown that in a really interesting way on this film. So uh, that whole approach has been very different. You know, uh, I worked with Sharon on Ratatouille where we're Mm -hmm. designing Paris. And uh, in that case, we're designing, you know, parts of of the city and five block areas, but nothing really as immense as this, uh, and uh, nothing that really connects with the natural environment Mm -hmm. as as deeply as uh, The Great Dinosaur. Mm
2: -hmm. Did
0: her paintings help infuse your color palette?
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, she worked with us uh, very closely, as we were developing the uh, the colors of the forest, that there's a seasonal transition through the film from spring till fall, and um, uh, she had the idea of well, let's save uh, the the glorious aspen golden fall that you see in Jackson Valley. And in, in our farm valley uh to the end of the film it'll be it'll resonate the most with the audience and you know uh, make spring uh really magical in the beginning of the film and then uh use uh uh use the summer and early fall as some of the most rugged uh environments uh in the uh, in the mountains when when arlo is swept away so uh uh we were uh, really paying attention to what Sharon was saying all the way along, uh, both in the set designs and in the uh, the the uh, character shader colors mm-hmm. coloring.
0: Well, and uh, Tarly mentions the character shader colorings and colors. And one of the key things that you'll notice as you even look at the trailers is that spot, his green eyes that are the same color as Arlo's skin, and then Arlo's eyes are essentially the same pinkish flesh tone as Spot's skin. And I had a chance to mention that to Harley and got his his feedback on that.
1: That's interesting that you picked up on that because uh, we there was a real back and forth as we were uh, designing the coloring of Arlo. uh, uh and then getting into Spot, Pete suggested, well, let, let's try green eyes. We actually tried blue eyes. We, uh, uh, Arlo used to be blue-eyed. and So there was this um, th- this design development on both of them as far as their color look uh, that happened until it kind of clicked into place. And, you know, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons is that there are colors in Spot's eyes that relate to Arlo and uh, same way with Arlo's eyes they are... Uh, they're kind of a a inverted reflection of each other well and we, we had to make sure that that the characters that you could pick them out of the landscape too so uh some of the set design uh coloring was based around trying to get spot to show up arlo is uh he's such a vivid green that actually helped us uh lead the audience's eye and focus the frame um so that uh we could make sure that that the audience was looking where we wanted to to look. Because sometimes Arlo is just like a a tiny figure in Mm -hmm. in this immense landscape.
0: Well, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. We'll get back to the good dinosaur and and Harley Jessup a little later. But right now, I am so thrilled to say that Jed Digney is on the line with us. Hi, Jed.
3: Hi, how are you?
0: Fine. Welcome, welcome to Behind the Lens.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Oh, it it is my joy and pleasure. I have to say, I laughed throughout this entire film of Nowhere Girl.
3: Oh, fantastic.
0: (laughs) It's quirky, it shows great imagination, and it really takes that old Disney mantra of believing is seeing to a whole new level.
3: Yeah, it has that weird sort of uh, mystical quality to it that we sort of happened upon as we were developing it, and it it kind of became like this group thing where like all all the crew and all the cast were trying to figure out how we could make it even more so and how to make it more, you know, like when you watch it again, it's like, Oh, i totally missed that. It became like this fun thing of like, how do we make it more magical, even though it's just really a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's sort of the fun aspect of that film for me.
0: It could be like the field of dreams for romance. If, if, you, if, you, <laughs> you, like that. if you build it, they will come. If you dream it, she will appear.
3: Exactly. Uh,
0: exactly. And I haven't seen, in the rom-com area, I haven't seen anything like this. One, probably one of the most creative things that we've seen along this line was decades ago with Topper. Or with, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart and Harvey. We, yes. we just don't see the imagination being pushed like this today, and it's very refreshing to see it in Nowhere Girl. Where, well, thank you. Where did this whole I, story come from, Jed? I know you'd previously done a little series called Delicate Art of Being Single. I think I'm seeing a theme here in your work. <laughs> uh, but well, it's right
3: what you know, right? And the one thing I know about is, like, disastrous relationships and... And really, just messy, you know, trying to sort stuff out situations, uh, and so that's where where Nora Girl came from was. I was trying to think of like a simple film to 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 make. I mean, not that any film is really simple, but just a simple story. And I remembered this uh, this few months I spent on my friend's couch. Um, it was a, I was living with a couple, and they were very caring and you know, very delightful and supportive while I was just, you know, crying my eyes out. I mean, you know, in a really manly way, but like, of course, you know, like I was in touch with, with that sort of grief or whatever. I don't know, but it was, (laughs) and I kind of remembered how funny that seemed to me even just shortly after, like it was sort of pathetic, but it was what I needed to do to, to sort of get past the situation I was in. And then I was like, Wow, that's if you're thinking of like an independent film and in limited locations, like having a guy stay over at one house, then you have everybody in the same house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: then it sort of evolved from there, and then when he it it started starts sweeping into the the mystical or the supernatural, I guess is, um, you know, I just sort of started thinking like, um, and I've had some really tough breakups and and. I've done some weird stuff during those breakups. I haven't done anything illegal, but I know guys who, you know, and girls who it it gets weird. And I kind of wanted to tell the story about like how these friends are all supporting this one guy who's maybe having a nervous breakdown or (laughs) maybe he isn't, maybe he's just processing it through the way he needs to. And, you know, sort of this, this idea of like, well, you know, women are the salvation of men and, and, or for this character, you know, like, not that women are salvation for men and that's their place. I don't mean that at all. I just mean like, like there's something about getting a partner
2: mm-hmm.
3: and whether it's, it doesn't matter whether you're man or woman or whatever. It's just like getting that person that completes you is, becomes something that, that really stabilizes everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Even if that person is imaginary. <laughs>
0: and that's why i have cats
3: and but exactly <laughs> you know like like uh, some people have pets and and some people have some people have really great friends that that do that and other people have you know a, a wife or a husband or you know that's or, or their job even you know like it's the thing that keeps them grounded and for this character i wanted to have it sort of reflect me where he's like uh, you know, lost sort of career-wise, and kind of had gone off the rails actually long before even the breakup, and that's sort of what it all kind of gears itself towards. Mm-hmm. The the imaginary girl helps him find his place uh, and stabilizes him, and then he winds up getting, you know, the you know things sorted out for himself.
0: And, you know, we're mentioning, you know, this guy. Well, this guy is the character of Tyler. Josh Robert Thompson, I was totally unfamiliar. I was unfamiliar with the work of all four of your principals. Josh okay. Robert Thompson, Jennifer Aspen, who plays best friend Michelle, David O'Donnell, who plays best friend Justin and husband of Michelle, and then Alana uh, Gralnick, who plays our mystery redhead, Katie. Yeah. And... Yep all of them are fabulous. Where did you find this wealth of, ta- of essentially undiscovered uh, cinema, uh, cinema talent?
3: Well, you know, uh, Josh and I had worked before, and he's, a, a, like a, he's just a brilliant comedy actor, and he does a lot of voice stuff, and he does a lot of improv, and around the time I started developing this story he and i were he had gone through a bad breakup i was in a good relationship strangely but he had gone through a bad breakup and was kind of being this character and i was just like i don't know if this guy does acting acting
2: mm-hmm.
3: but if if he just got on camera and did what he's doing at the dinner table with me right now and like and we could capture that people would love it and then he wound up being just so much and i so much better than I thought he would be. So much better than just, you know, a disgruntled guy. He brought all mm-hmm. these extra layers, and um, and he was just wonderful, uh, wonderful in the part. I mean, many times they, the 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 crew and the cast around were just kind of like, wow, this this guy's <laughs> this guy's killing scenes. Are amazing.
0: Well, you ob- um, you obviously found the right person to make your directorial feature debut with.
3: Yes, yes, and then Jennifer. Um is actually married to david um
0: so they are and, husband and wife in real life
3: yes they are mar- they're husband and wife in real life, which we we thought would just be kind of like a fun way to like bring in a, that dynamic sort of built in um and there's like a testiness between them mm-hmm. in their scenes that 's very organic and it 's like wow, these guys are great and it 's like well yeah they 're great, but also they 're just drawing on their their stuff, which is very very interesting, and Jennifer is what we got her because she's a friend of. I had met her once or twice, but she was a friend of one of the producers,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and she got a hold of the script and was like, "Yes, I'm in. This is a great character." And you know, the writer of the script, which is me, did a great job. And he is uh, <laughs> he's you know uh, the when we sent out the script, it was it was pretty easy to get people. Uh, you know, on board for an indie film, which was, you know, we shot this for under $50,000, and um, it, it, a lot of corners were cut, but we still got everything that we wanted, so, and then for me, David was a a very nice foil uh, to the the other actors, where he's more, I don't want to say aloof, but he's He's not getting himself as emotionally committed, and it, it very it plays very well mm-hmm. with everyone else who seems to be so emotionally committed.
0: Well, one of my favorite scenes uh, with David uh, and Jennifer together is uh, you know one of the, their opening scenes, the breakfast scene, and she's you know quizzing him, and he's totally oblivious. Oh yeah, so how'd you, how'd your meeting go? How'd it go yesterday? And she's like, oh, which one are you talking about? And she's setting him up, and you realize in that moment that he is being the typical husband that is not paying attention and is just saying, yes, honey, you look lovely, honey. Uh-huh. How was your day? That was great. I'm so glad that everything worked out. It was just perfection in a moment. Oh, thank
3: you. Yeah, they, they did a great job. That was a, I mean, all those scenes when the, when those, those two together were so fun and um, the three of them together at the dinner scene are, is my favorite scene. And I, it's the scene that I wrote sort of the sloppiest and and sort of um not the sloppiest, but like I just I didn't pay much attention to it because I really just wanted the three of them to get into the scene and just start doing stuff mm-hmm. and there's a lot of improvisation in the film. Um, I very highly encourage improvisation just because I feel like as the writer i I can only go so far imagining all the characters, and then as the director like all right, so thanks, writer, for your work, but now let's see what these people are going to bring to it. And, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone in the film brought improv, and Alana, she brought stuff to the improv. I wasn't even thinking that character could improvise, but she was trying to add layers to it, um, which, again, added to its mysticism, mm-hmm. and she was just fantastic throughout the film, and she's so, she's so um, embodied what we were trying to show mm-hmm. with that character with this sort of beautiful... And smart, and you know, not a pushover girl,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, um, that could it, really help straighten this guy out. There's a great the
0: vibrancy she that she brings. Oh yeah, but and something yeah. and something that you and your and your cinematographer Justin Chin, something the two of you do, are in the scenes with Tyler and Katie, uh, with Josh and with Ilana. You have some beautiful traveling montages set up in there that just are shot so beautifully. You capture the, the the beautiful greens of trees and grass and those quiet moments that everybody imagines and envisions as the perfect, idyllic, romantic date. Yeah. And they are stunning, stunning. And the fact that you do them as mo- as, you know, a montage with some beautiful, you know, you've got some really nice music picked out going with things in here too. Yes and that elevates the whole thing, and it serves as a beautiful balance to the comedic notes that you have.
3: Well, thank you. That's basically exactly what we were trying to do. Um, Justin, I met a few weeks before we started shooting, and we were looking for a cinematographer in San Francisco, and he and I hit it off like perfect yin and yang. Like He's Mm -hmm. very organized. He's very detail oriented and i'm very loose and kind of disorganized and we just fit perfectly and i i think we disagreed on two shots in the entire wow. film and i think one he got his way and the other i got my way i was just like you know what i think we need to go a little wider on this and he was like all
0: right so what what kind of learn- were
3: in step he and i he he knew what i wanted from the script from the the depth sort of of the storytelling, mm-hmm. which is, again, it's it's a bit of a weird film because it's a, it's a romantic comedy, but then it gets a little dark and we wanted to play certain things, you know, like kind of dark, like mm-hmm. <laughs> visually kind of dark. Sure. Um, so that the audience would feel, you know, uh, feel what we wanted them to feel, what, what the characters were feeling, not just from what they were saying and what for their acting, but like what the cinematography and then the music, of course, is a very big part of, of everything I've ever done. Um, and I, I those montages were something that Justin and I developed to help tell the story to be visually interesting, but every song that we chose was specifically chosen because they helped tell the story. Yeah,
0: the lyrics of the songs that you've chosen are extremely important here. I could tell that yeah. there was a lot of thought put into the music selections.
3: Yes, yes. I wound up going through, I think, 1,200 songs.
0: Only 1,200.
3: Only 1,200. And then there's a couple of songs in the uh, film that were people that I was already fans of. The the 1,200 were basically a resource that we had that was like, look, these guys will not demand a lot of money to be in your film, and so find what you like. So I went through all 1,200 of those songs, but then I also had some other songs from my own personal music collection, including Frightened Rabbit, um, who have the title track and then one other song in the film mm-hmm. and um, I've been a l- big fan of theirs for a long time because their music, especially for this film is like it's very fitting it's sort of it's sort of upbeat and sad mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it and it, it's very storytelling uh, the music so I, I've big, always been a fan of music that also tells a story and so to infuse the film with as much of that as possible as a filmmaker helps tell more of a story.
0: Mm-hmm. So what was your learning curve like uh, from a directorial standpoint, this being your first feature?
3: Um, I, I mean, honestly, it wasn't just my first feature. It was my first time like doing things like you make a movie, like everything else I'd ever done, <laughs> I did. I did a documentary, but it was all just sort of like, hey, set up an interview, we'll go shoot it. You know, there was no, you know, schedules and, and call sheets and, and all that. And uh, even the, the the little web series I did, everything I've done was just sort of like, hey, let's grab a camera and go. And this was like, well, we have 20 people every day that <laughs> need to be organized. And, you know, like I had a good team and it, it you know, having Justin Chin around and then also having having the actors really love the project. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, the, the fact that I let them improvise kind of kind of gets my hooks in them a bit, too. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to do, you know, I want to do something different with this scene. Like, yeah, let's just do that. Like, there was stuff we would change out of the script that was like, was like we're just not even going to do what's in the script. Mm-hmm. Because this idea that Josh came up with is better or Jennifer has a way she wants to do this other thing and it's just better. So screw that other stuff. You know, mm-hmm. because it's just it's just better. And, you know, so it was it was very interesting to and of course we shot it in a very short amount of time. It was in twelve days. And, you know, it's we but it went really smooth, you know, like I, I wish there was like some horror story almost like this is great storytelling. We had some neighbors that were a little bit uh, difficult to deal with where we were shooting, but basically it just the the first AD that we had, uh, who I can only hope gets to work on my next film as well. Um, it just kind of went, you know, start at seven, end at seven, mm-hmm. and it was it was fun. Like it was actually fun. Like, you know, it was. Uh, I was talking to Justin Chin uh, about a month ago about it, and he was like, you know, it's, it's really the easiest shoot I've ever been on. And I was like, wow, well.
0: <laughs> okay, now don't, don't, let's not get cocky here. We yeah, no, like, it, let's you not know. get carried away
3: here. Like, still, <laughs> you know, I will say next time um, I won't be sleeping in the house that we shoot in.
0: Okay, I mean, no, where, no.
3: Where I was, where I was living at the, for the film was actually Tyler's room.
0: Okay, that's just creepy.
3: It was weird. It was weird, and then it was like when the days were shooting in Tyler's room. I have to get out early, and then, then what am I supposed to do? I'm just the director. I only be up at seven.
0: Oh well, now you do.
3: Now you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell me, Jed, where can people find Nowhere Girl to see? I know it's on iTunes.
3: Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Um, it's on uh, a bunch of other like like voodoo and. Uh, I know it's on video on demand still mm-hmm. on on most major things. Charter, Cox. It's
0: not on Time Warner because I looked.
3: It is not on Time Warner. They, uh, I'm not sure how all that stuff works because there's already so much that I've had to learn. But I did not learn
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> the, the the correct distribution anyway. But yeah, we we're not on DirecTV, but we are on Dish. Okay. So it's 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 out there, it, and you know it's one of those things where I always wish that people would be able to see the film uh, with other people mm-hmm. because, uh, man, it plays so great in a crowd because it is more a comedy than it is anything else. Yes, very much so. And there's there's some moments in it that are really like group laughter moments, and I don't know that that plays necessarily by yourself if you're watching it on a computer, but. When it's done in, in festivals, it's one best feature. It's one mm-hmm. best comedy. Like it's, it, I think. It, but that has a lot to do with sort of the group dynamic mm-hmm. of, of watching a comedy. I think. Yeah. Um, so it does play a little bit more that way, but it is a romantic comedy. So.
0: So I can't thank you enough for joining me today, Jed. This has been a, a real pleasure. Will you? Will you come back again? Absolutely. Good. Good. And please keep me advised of what your projects are.
3: I got another one coming up. It's going to be a hoot. Well, I can't wait. All right, thanks so much, David.
0: Thanks, Jen. Bye-bye. Bye. And now, I think she's here, my favorite filmmaker. No longer a future filmmaker, just filmmaker, Kira Bursky. Hi. Hey you. How are you? Hello, I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm fine. So, first question I have to ask you. Well, first I have to congratulate you. All these awards you've been racking up. Um, Luke Sabis was here a couple years ago and uh, a couple weeks ago, and Luke was saying, "Oh my God, you know, Kira, I met Kira at Cannes. Yeah, <laughs> I did meet him at Cannes. <laughs> yes. Well, and now you are going to one of your films is going to China. Yeah, it is. That just blew my mind when I saw that. Now, will you be going to
4: China with your film? Um, so it's taking place during the main shooting weekend of my current film project, and it's also taking place during Thanksgiving. So as much as I want to, I think I'm going to be staying in the States to work on my film. You mean you're actually
0: going to have like four days of not traveling somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> actually am.
4: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to stay in one place for a few days.
0: For you, that's that's a shocker. For all the listeners out there, anybody that is familiar with Kira's work or if you're friends with Kira, you know she is traveling all the time from festival to festival, speaking on panels, and I never see her in one place for more than like 72 hours. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> but you have a huge announcement. Last time you were on the show, you alluded to this upcoming project and this has mm-hmm. now come to fruition. Big Little Indeed. Filmmaker. I am yes. so thrilled to have you talk about this. So talk away.
4: Wonderful. Well, yes. Yeah. So the last time I was on, I mentioned my uh, upcoming project, Big Little Filmmaker, and as of yesterday, it is launched, and it is online. So Big Little Filmmaker is an online community and resource center specifically for young filmmakers, um, any filmmaker between the ages of around 12 to 22. Um, so I realized that uh, one of my biggest passions um, is helping other filmmakers to achieve their dreams. Not just mm-hmm. filmmakers, but, you know, just artists and people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I love filmmaking. I I love all of the opportunities I've been given, and I feel very... Uh, Appreciative and inspired, and I really am in disbelief of all of the all of the opportunities and all of the things that are are out there that I've I've um, had the opportunity to just be a part of. And so, Big Little Filmmaker is, is the culmination of all of these things. I really, I really, really want to help other people um, get to Cannes Film Festival, even when they're in <laughs> high school, or um, have a film screened at the White House, or um, have a free trip to Seattle, or There's so many things, so many magical things that you would never believe that someone under the age of uh, 20 could could do. Um, I always thought that, you know, all the things I just listed, Cannes Film Festival, the White House, all of that stuff seems like something that's only for someone who is an an adult, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who's been at this for a really long time. It didn't seem like a possibility for someone like myself. But what I discovered is, it is possible. In fact, these are opportunities that are that are waiting for us to take a hold of. Um, and so my hope, not my hope, what is going to happen with Big Little Filmmakers, I'm going to make sure that other uh, young artists are grabbing a hold onto the opportunities that are just really, are truly waiting for them. Mm-hmm. The Just the amazing experiences that are waiting for them.
2: Now,
0: how will you go about amassing... Um, because I know they're going to start taking submissions for LA Film Festival again soon, and so many you know high school filmmakers they don't even know where to go look mm-hmm. for for the opportunities that are out there, like submitting for student films for Future Filmmaker showcases, or mm-hmm. submitting places like Laguna or All American High School Film Festival. They just yes. are, are. You going to be amassing lists and links on Little Big Filmmaker or Big mm-hmm. Little Filmmaker?
4: Yeah. So on Visible uh, the Filmmaker, there is uh, going to be there is a film festival directory that I'm updating right now, and I will continue to update um, throughout time when I find out about more opportunities. Mm-hmm. But yes, there's a listing where I will have all of the film festivals that are geared towards youth or film festivals that have um, sections for younger filmmakers, mm-hmm. just like at LA Film Festival. So that's an example of a film festival that is not necessarily geared towards younger filmmakers, but they have a section for future filmmakers. Right. Um, so I'll have a compiled, curated listing of, of all of those uh, festivals, because, you know, it, it is quite hard to find out about all of these opportunities. And I've met people, uh, for instance, at All American, who, who knew about that film festival, and they, they got there, and they, they were... In awe of just the experience because it truly is—it's amazing what they're doing there. But they didn't realize that there are other film festivals that um, that are looking for young filmmakers as mm-hmm. well. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so on Big Little Filmmaker, there's going to be uh, access to all that information, which I'll make sure to keep updating, um, as well as uh, articles and content on on how to submit and uh, just giving the, the push that that it's, it's not a scary thing. Like They want you to submit. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's an article up there right now which is um, geared around All-American High School Film Festival and some uh, really talented filmmakers that I met there, and we're focusing in on just that, uh, film festivals and submitting to it and how um, you can do it and you should do it, and amazing things come from just going for it. Now, will you also be
0: providing resources uh, for the different geographic areas within within the country? Um, yes. you know, for, uh, for you know, crews and how you find, you know, how you mm-hmm. find grips and lighting materials and, you know, camera rental or something?
4: Definitely. So a big aspect to the website is the social media part of it. Mm-hmm. So when uh, young filmmakers sign up for it, they will be given a profile where they can list off, you know, uh, what sort of roles they do, if they're a director, if they're a screenwriter, all that jazz, why they're into filmmaking. Um, and through that, People will be able to network with one another and become friends, just like on Facebook, but specifically, you Mm -hmm. know, all the younger filmmakers, um, and reach out to one another. So there's also a a forum section. So let's say you're based out of um, Atlanta, Georgia, and you're a young filmmaker, and you want to find a cinematographer who's your age. Well, you'll be able to post in the forums or contact other filmmakers who list their their state as uh, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, you'll be able to find out who's in your state, um, what what their roles are that they prefer um, and you'll be able to contact them and, and know that they are around your age
2: mm-hmm. so there's a
4: comfortability of knowing that we're all learning together and we all want to support each other mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, because
0: I know that can be very daunting for younger filmmakers even filmmakers you know out of college you know when you're looking for somebody and you get hit up by some, uh, somebody's been in the business 10-20 years they're 40 years old and you, you know you're do you feel, you know, overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like you don't think your vision is going to get across if you hire this person or look to them for help.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. But now the big question here, Kira, is where are you finding the time to do all this? <laughs> ha- have, you, um, have you cloned yourself and not told me? Say it again? Have you
4: cloned yourself and not told me? <laughs> Man, time. Time is a strange thing. Um, yeah, I I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how I make it all happen. But I think I think the key for, for anyone for anything is if you really want to make things happen and you feel passionate about it, um, you'll find the time. You'll make it work. And um, you know, it's really easy to feel overwhelmed or to feel like oh, too much is happening. I'm doing too many things. But if you know, when I get in touch with why I'm doing it. Um, I'm easily able to tap into the enjoyment of it all and to realize that I love what I'm doing. And so uh, although I am very busy, I'm enjoying every second of it because it's um, for a cause and for something that I really believe in. Um, Everything I'm doing, my film projects, big little filmmaker, traveling, it's it's the life I want to live, and so um, it's worth it. It's worth uh, being busy, and busy is not a negative thing because it's it's, – being productive and happy and passionate
0: (laughs) and it keeps you out of trouble. So your mother doesn't have to worry about you.
4: Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, that's a very important factor for, for for young future filmmakers. It keeps you focused. So your parents don't have to worry. Yeah. (laughs) So now let's give everybody the website. It is www.biglittlefilmmaker.com. Correct?
4: Indeed. That is correct.
0: And so that, and for people that they can go check out your work, you're at, www.vimeo all around artsy
4: yes and i also have a blog so if you go on to google and you type in all around artsy adventures Mm -hmm. you'll find my my blog where i have um just behind the scenes on everything i do traveling this company my films.
0: now have you added more films to to vimeo so i can go look at them
4: um, when was the last time you saw, what was the last time you saw? Maybe my, have I think, you, I, recently I post, posted a, um, a directing sizzle reel. So it's a minute and a half of okay, I, I all of my directing work.
0: Okay. I saw you posted that. I have to look at that. Um, adulthood. Have you put adulthood up?
4: Oh, that should be up probably in the next, uh, week or two. Cause really,
0: I want to see that.
4: Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very strange film, and it's actually premiering today in Seattle. Yay!
0: Yay! <laughs> and that's the one that you did with uh, your cohort, your cinematic cohort, Abby Sachs. Abby uh, Sachs, for the best the,
4: person in the world for the
0: forty-eight-hour horror film project.
4: Yes, indeed, we co-directed and co-wrote it, and we were two of the three actors in it.
0: Well, uh, that I'm really, I really, really, really want to see that one. And I, I knew you'd put the sizzle reel up, but I didn't have a chance to look at it. So I will wait until you get adulthood up, and I will look at them at the same time.
4: Perfect. Well, I'll let you know right when it's up, and uh, I hope it doesn't weird you out too much. It's pretty strange.
0: <laughs> Come on, at this stage of the game, you think anything's going to weird me out, Kira?
4: <laughs> I guess not.
0: I survived all of, all, of, all of you future filmmakers at L.A. Film Festival. If that's not going to weird me out, nothing is. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and which, by the way, I ran into uh, Theo Buck uh, Theo Buckwald the other week at the ArcLight. Who'd you run into? Theo, uh, who was also one of your competitors. He did old tricks at LA. Oh, film. I didn't
4: get to see it. I uh, haven't seen that film yet.
0: You need to. He's got it up on his website. I'll send you the information. But yeah, he was asking had I heard from anybody else, and I was telling him about you and you're up and big little filmmaker. Uh, yeah. So Theo. Yeah,
4: I want him to join so I can so I can get in contact with him and see what he's up to. <laughs> I will
0: e- I promise you, I will email Theo today. Please do. And tell him and a couple of the other filmmakers from Laff. I will email
4: them too. Perfect. Thank you. So, so my build the community and the support.
0: Hey, whatever whatever I can do to help you guys get on your you know further your trajectories, I am thrilled to do it.
4: Well, thank you. I feel the same for everyone else. I want to do whatever I can do to help them.
0: Well, my friend, you will come back again when you have more films done, correct? Perfect, yes. (laughs) And in the meantime, everybody can go to www.biglittlefilmmaker.com.
4: Yes, indeed.
0: Thank you so much, Kira.
4: Thank you. And I'll talk
0: to you soon. Perfect. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Kira Bursky, filmmaker, and we'll have all of Kira's information on the video uh, for those of you that check out the video and the audio uh, later on in the week. But right now, I am very, very privileged to have Adrian Colusi on the line. Hi, Adrian.
5: Hi, Debbie. How are you?
0: Fine. Thank you for holding for us while we wrapped up with Kira.
5: Oh, it's my pleasure. I got to hear a little bit of your conversation with her, so that's great.
0: Um. I got to tell you, Landmine Goes Click, this is, I I just loved it. I loved it. Thank you. It is, it looks very bright. Your tonal bandwidth is bright, light, upbeat, and then all the darkness that is happening within the structure of the film and in the action, it is just a beautiful, beautiful juxtaposition.
5: Wow! Thank you very much. I, I, I really we really appreciate that.
0: So what? So to give the listeners uh, a feel, briefly talk about what is Landmine Goes Goes Click, and what inspired you to write this. This is not something that is like in the norm for story ideas. I think.
5: Um, well, I, I guess some of it is within the norm in that it uh, it is a it would fit into the revenge genre. Mm-hmm. So we um, we knew that we wanted to take something that was um, an intriguing an intriguing concept, an intriguing puzzle that somebody might find themselves in, and then we wanted to to try to elevate it, even though that might sound a little uh, you know a little high minded, but we wanted to just try to elevate it the best that we could. So you have a, a circumstance where there's an American tourist. He's backpacking in a remote part of Eastern Europe with his friends, and he finds himself trapped in a secluded forest, standing on an armed landmine. And then we kind of upped the ante on that and said, "Well, what if he also found himself, you know, forced helplessly standing there um, to watch while his uh, while the woman he loves is, is terrorized and brutally assaulted?" And so there's this. A uh, very intense puzzle that gets you into the into the story to say, Well, how would the person resolve that?' And then we wanted to bump it up even more with um with exploring revenge and revenge as a genre mm-hmm. and to, I think say something I'm, I, I I think it would be unfair to say that it has never been said before, but I think it would be fair to say that it is rarely said. Uh, within Revenge Genre, which is really a celebration of violence. And we wanted to um, to explore that, see what did it mean to us,
2: mm-hmm. to
5: very honestly see what did it mean to us, um, as opposed to, well, what might make the most entertaining thing or what might mm-hmm. make people talk about it the most. But And of course we want it to be entertaining, and we think it is, but we wanted to to say and do something with it that could comment on not just Revenge Genre, but um, but on... how we as people even think and feel about revenge.
0: Well, I I have to say the third act of the film and we're not going to give away any spoilers but...
5: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. The third
0: act it just, it spins your mind out of control as you see what's happening unfold. But then the final shots of the film they make you stop. They make you think. And you you're just burdened with this great sense of remorse even and you think what would i have done and it it's it's a very interesting emotional shift that you get with the final shot of the film
5: it it is i i i really you know i absolutely agree with that and um if you can imagine now it's, we're we're being a little unfair because we're saying something that nobody's seen yet, but hopefully it'll it'll you know <laughs> intrigue them. the 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 weight that we put on Sterling Knight's shoulders, who who plays our our lead character, to um, to deliver something something very very special, mm. and uh, and the trust that we put in him and the trust that our director Levan Bachia, you know put into uh, into that performance and everybody's performance to get there. Was really enormous, and the the how gratifying that it's been for us. That what we wanted, we know we got up on the screen. Like mm-hmm. what we wanted to do, we saw it, and we said we did it. Now, how other people feel about it, of course, you know, you can never control that. But we're we're so pleased with the with the um, kind of film festival support, and and for people like you who've seen the movie and and are, have been. Very, uh, you know, uh, very supportive of of what we tried to do, and um, you know, so we're we're ex- we're extremely happy with that.
0: Well, and I have to say, you mentioned Sterling Knight, uh, who plays Chris in the film, and it's not it's we're not giving anything untoward away by saying he's the one standing on a landmine.
2: yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, he has a great following uh, from the Disney Family Channel and his work at Disney. Anybody that's looking for Sterling to reprise a kind of character or, you know, emotion that we've seen in Melissa and Joey or Sonny with a a chance, that's not it. He makes the leap here into full-fledged adult performance.
5: He sure does. And, um, I mean, it was, and, and, you know, the interesting thing that I really found is you know, being on the set and, and and watching and seeing as his character goes through a quite a substantial transition um, from, you know, uh, a guy going camping with friends to being put in this unbelievable mm-hmm. vulnerable, un- unbelievably vulnerable situation, and so forth, uh, to you know to where his character finally goes in that third act, and the development, the evolution, the 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 how present that. Sterling continued to keep himself in the moment of what was happening. And this, the film was actually shot in chronological order, which oh. you don't always have that privilege of doing, but we, we, we did. and
0: Very very so, lucky here, because I think that really yeah. helped Sterling's performance.
5: For sure. I mean, I'm sure he could have done it if it wasn't in chronological order, but, but the amazing thing of being there and watching it move forward and watching how right before our eyes this person was, making a gigantic transition into a very, very, very different person. And, of course, knowing him and knowing his background as an actor and getting to see a new and impressive dimension to to his abilities was really special.
0: Yeah, that totally, that was one of the biggest uh, surprises of the film to me, going beyond the structure of the film itself to see what Sterling you know, delivers, because when he comes in the third act, I was just, he really blew my mind. As I'm, I was riveted, mouth agape, watching this.
5: Awesome. That's, that's so awesome to hear. And, you know, um, with, the, with the additional work that we got from, you know, the, from Spencer Locke's performance mm-hmm. that just, I mean, that's the thing that gets you emotionally connected right. is, you know, she's that girl. Who, um, who is going through this this nightmare, and she's the thing that's that's rooting you into um, into how Sterling's character is, into into how Sterling's character is getting to where he's going, mm-hmm. and with Dean and I won't say too much about Dean because Dean has such a, a lovely turn in there as well, but uh, you know, again. Another surprising performance Mm -hmm. in terms of a a person who both on screen and, you know, with what he said, you wouldn't necessarily be looking at and saying, oh, my God. So that's what that was all about, Mm -hmm. you know, and him just kind of popping quite a nice little turn of events and a surprise in there as well. So uh, we we had a a phenomenal uh, cast who were. Yeah, you know, under difficult conditions, I will tell you. You know, on a on a side of a mountain with a very long walk up. In the in the Republic of Georgia, high.
0: in Eastern Europe, the Republic of yep. Georgia in Eastern Europe. You know, yep. let, let's not confuse it with the state in the United States. This is yep. this. I mean, this is really, you know, which also makes it very believable because of all you know the history of wars in the region that a landmine yeah. would be, and, you know, an unseen landmine could not have been cleared.
5: Absolutely. And, you know, we we said, as the, as the people who wanted to tell this story, we, we wanted to say, we never look at anything and say, oh, we have some limitation. We look at what we have and we say, how can we tell, the, how can we use this to best express what we have in mind? Mm-hmm. And that's our whole perspective on absolutely everything. So you're going to make something in Georgia and you want, and you have an idea about something that's going to be a thriller and something intense, well, use what is there. Um, you know, it's physically really beautiful in terms of it's extremely mountainous and stuff. But at the same time, there was just a war there a few years ago, right. which makes which makes the the concept, uh, you know, work and, and, and be very believable. I yeah, mean, beyond, it's the real issue in the world with landmines.
0: Yeah, and and, beyond and, plausible. And, you know, yeah. I have to say, you know, before we run out of time here, Mm-hmm. Um, I have to, you know, Cote uh, Tolordava who played Ilya. Wow. And that is the I had to do a double take originally because I thought I was looking at like at um, uh, Ron Jeremy clone. <laughs> His appearance, <laughs> yeah, he gave that appearance um, at the fir- evil Ron. The Jeremy evil, clone. the evil Ron Jeremy clone. Seriously. Yeah. But yeah,
5: he he gained like forty pounds for the parts. Uh, you know he he shaved his head, but it looked that way. I mean he was so so committed to it and uh, it's it was a great a great great loss um, for for oh. really um, cinema that he passed away so young and so so shortly after the film was, was yeah. completed
0: I mean his I mean his performance is you know it is riveting. It will yep. give you chills to see it, it. will
5: absolutely. and uh, you know I I'm worried. I know that, that, that the that the show is ending, and I want to make sure I just have a chance to, to to let people know a couple of things. Is now the right moment for that? Uh, Go ahead. Heavier?
0: Go ahead. Okay.
5: So so we are uh, the film itself is going to be available uh, everywhere on November 10th. So that'll be you know iTunes, Amazon, Hulu, cable networks, etc. All all video on demand. It's going to be available on November 10th. You can pre-order through uh, ev- everywhere but iTunes. We had a technical issue with them, which is. Trying to be resolved very soon, <laughs> but it's available for pre-order everywhere except for iTunes. And as a little something special in the next couple of days leading up to our November tenth uh, release, we're doing midnight screenings where you can come and meet our cast. Uh, I'm going to be there. The director is coming over from Georgia. He's going to be in New York, so we have screenings on the sixth and seventh in Los Angeles, midnight screenings
0: at the Limelight uh, in New York.
5: I beg your pardon? At the
0: Limley North Hollywood?
5: Yes, exactly. And in New York at IFC Center on the 6th and 7th. Uh, And in Austin um, this Wednesday on uh, November 4th. Um, So there are all midnight screenings. There's going to be people there. uh, And you can just go to our site, landminegoesquake.com. And you can see all the links to all of that very easily uh, right there on our front page. And we're also doing... One thing that's uh, you know pr- pretty exciting and very cool, if, if you, uh, which is we're working with a company called Tug that enables people to host a screening in their own town or city. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, just click right on the link right there, and it can show you how you can bring uh, an independent film that would otherwise never get to your community right there. And it's it's a really cool concept. And uh, so I hope people will take a, a chance and explore that a little bit. You just click on the link right on our homepage and it'll take you everywhere you need to go
0: well adrian thank you so so much i hope that you will join me again next time for another project and debbie
5: it would be it would be not just a pleasure uh but a a privilege and a luxury
0: and maybe i'll even make it up there friday Annie had asked me to moderate and i'm going to try and change my schedule so that i can do it
5: oh i would i would love that debbie i would love that
0: i'm I'm. thank
5: you so much
0: (laughs) Very few people will I go moderate at 2 in the morning for.
5: (laughs) Oh, boy. I know it. I know it. And it would be really awesome if you could. But, of course, I understand if you can't. And and so hopefully I will meet you in person soon.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much, Adrian.
5: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: And that's it. We're out of time. Next week, Ed Benda.